Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome into another Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, Managing Editor at SEH, and this week's guest for our Friday show is Ben Pope, the Blackhawks beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Ben was kind enough to lend us some of his time this week, and we, we talked about a lot of different topics. We covered his, his upbringing in Raleigh, where he first became a fan of hockey and of the Carolina Hurricanes. This was pre-Tavo days, of course. And then we talked about his rapid transition from being a student at Northwestern University to a sometimes intern to a Blackhawks beat reporter, and that, that happened very, very quickly. Uh, along with plenty of discussion regarding the current Blackhawks, we also talked a little bit about his experience this summer covering all the protests that happened in Chicago while the hockey and the rest of the sports worlds were all shut down during uh, the, the height of the pandemic this summer. So you can follow him on Twitter at BenPopeCST, and while you're there, you can also follow along with the Second City Hockey account at 2ND City Hockey. I'm at underscore Dave Melton, and also visit our website, secondcityhockey.com, for all of our Blackhawks-related content. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. We're going to have a ton more interviews with a lot of people from all over the hockey world during this weird offseason in the middle of winter. And we'd also seriously appreciate it if you could rate and review us. And we politely request a five-star review if you can do that because that helps us out a ton. So thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for Bendon joining us. And please enjoy this edition of the Friday Show with Chicago Sun-Times beat reporter Ben Pope. Ben Pope is with us, uh, Blackhawks beat reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here on, I, like you said, what's probably a more quiet evening than you would have typically in November uh, as a hockey reporter. So I know you've had some other work to do, but what have you been doing in the free time that hockey's given you? Oh, not a lot. Um, <laughs> just, you know, seeing friends and taking walks and doing some photography. Uh, that's a little side hobby. Okay. Um, but. Uh, sleeping in till 11 a.m. every day uh it's, it's not a bad life but yeah that sounds boring. great I, I imagine being like covering hockey like you're probably more of a night owl anyway I think that's the sports journalist curse you tend to be more night oriented than you're not going to be up at 6 a.m. doing those walks that you referenced no yeah yeah definitely <laughs> more of a, a night owl for sure okay uh, okay yeah, so, normally get back you know after midnight so oh there you go perfect so before we get onto that, though, I kind of wanted to backtrack and kind of see how you ended up in this role as covering the Blackhawks for the Sun Times. So I guess going back, your profile says you're a Raleigh or your Twitter profile, excuse me, says you're a 
a Raleigh native and then you attended Northwestern. So was um, like, were you, was journalism always going to be your path? Was it always going to be sports writing? I guess, how did that all start for you? Well, I think I realized at an absurdly young age, at like 11 or 12, uh, that I wanted to, to be a, a sports journalist. And it's kind of just lucky how it's worked out so well. Um, but uh, I just blogged about the hurricanes, you know, in, okay. in middle school and high school. And, um, and then, you know, coming to Northwestern, uh, I was class of 2019. So I'm only two years out of school now. And at that point, it being such a good journalism school gave me a lot of experience and opportunity to sort of get better and prove myself in the field. And then I interned with the Sun-Times as a senior in college and then ended up getting hired full-time out of that. So it's really fortunate how it's worked out so well. So that's very, uh, very Kirby Doc of you to go straight from the training ground right into the pros of covering because I, that for, I feel like for most sports writers, that's not, that's not how the path works. You usually don't graduate college and walk into an NHL locker room. Yeah, absolutely not. It wasn't really something I was expecting to be able to do right out of college. I, I was covering high school basketball with the Sun-Times on my internship, and uh, I didn't actually know that I was even going to get hired by the Sun-Times until a few weeks after my internship ended. And I was looking at other jobs covering high school sports in other cities and, and states. And just the way it worked out, you know, they Laz had left and they had brought mm -hmm. in Jason Leisure. But then uh, Adam Johns left to cover the Bears for the Athletic. And, and Jason's main expertise previously was covering the Dolphins. Uh, so it made sense for him to shift over to covering the Bears. And they right. had a vacant uh, Blackhawks position and they had just gone through a job search less than a year beforehand so I guess that was the the easy solution uh, mm. but yeah it was an incredible honor for me and it's been uh, really exciting so far uh, to, to be in this role at my age. Was hockey the sport that you grew up as the biggest fan of or were there other sports that you uh, paid more attention to? No I was absolutely a huge hockey fan okay. growing up uh, and um you know, the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup when I was, I think, nine years old. That's so, right. With Cam, uh, that's kinda, Kane's legend Cam Ward leading them. Yes. The the one year Cam Ward was uh, above average and he made a career out of it. But uh, right. yeah, it was, I mean, hockey was always a sport that I wanted to, to cover. So really fortunate that that worked out as well. Because yeah, Raleigh doesn't seem like a traditional hockey hotbed. Well, any, anything south of, you know, south of the Ohio River, essentially, it doesn't really seem like a traditional hockey hotbed. So how did you, how did hockey become your childhood uh, fascination? Well, you know, I don't think I was ever as drawn to college sports as a lot of people in North Carolina are. That's definitely the, oh, yeah. the dominant uh, sports there. But um and then in terms of pro sports, the, the Hornets, I guess it would have been the Bobcats then. And the mm -hmm. Panthers are in Charlotte, um, which is, you know, a two and a half hour drive away. And having the Hurricanes as the one pro team in Raleigh uh, combined with their success right around the time I was becoming a sports fan kind of captivated me. And, and I just I love the, the speed and fluidity of the sport. I don't think any other sport really compares to that. So uh, no. just a combination of geographic factors and just the one that I end up falling in love with. So, For those who don't know, Northwestern's sports journalism department has a very good reputation. I mean, there's a ton of sports writers that are a product of that school. So was that the lure for you to go to Northwestern, or was it a, a being a proximity to Chicago, I guess? What kind of attracted you? I, I guess we're going to do a Northwestern PR thing here, but what <laughs> kind of attracted you to go to that school? 
Well, I think when I was maybe a freshman in high school, I think I, I Googled uh, like best journalism schools and whatever ranking I clicked on had Northwestern number one. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to try to go there. I don't think mm -hmm. I knew anything about the school. I don't even know if I knew it was, you know, in suburban Chicago at that time. I'd never even been to Chicago. Uh, so it's a bit uh, of a drive. I ended up, you know, visiting uh, before enrolling, before applying, but uh, I kind of, you know, just picked it for, for that reason. And the fact that uh, it brought me to this city was just kind of by happenstance. If it was in, you know, like rural Montana, I think I probably would have gone anyway. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's the reason there. So to go straight from like, I, I imagine you covered all the Northwestern sports, the football, basketball, everything there. And, you know, that's a major division one college program, but to go from covering that to covering professional hockey, that seems like such a, that seems like a very big leap to do uh, like right out of college, as we were talking about earlier. So was it intimidating for you the first time you walked into an NHL locker room and you're, you know, interviewing full grown men who are five, 10 years older than you? Yeah, it was absolutely intimidating. I've always sort of considered myself a little older than my years and been mm -hmm. confident as a journalist, but, but that experience was definitely uh, pushing my comfort zone for sure. Uh, and certainly I think the first, you know, couple weeks of the season, I was, I was probably a little bit timid and, and didn't really uh, jump in on as many interviews as, as maybe I would now. Um, I was doing a story on the, in the preseason actually on Zach Smith's uh, rock music taste uh, actually okay. really interesting uh, sort of side thing about him but he mentioned that Taves was the DJ for the locker room and I don't think I'd ever talked to Taves one-on-one -on -one at that point uh, so you know I, I went up to Taves and, and talked to him about that uh, and that was intimidating but then you know it ended up he asked me what my favorite bands were and we had sort of a, an in-depth conversation about mm -hmm. rock music and about just little experiences like that just realizing that you know, the Hawks players are, are normal people and, and they care about you too. Uh, just help, you know, get that comfort zone over time. That, that would be the most interesting part for me. It was just like, find like, yeah, you know about all these, their reputations as hockey players and all that, but just to find out like the little stuff away from the ice that the common person doesn't know, like you mentioned, like Zach Smith's music selection, Taze being the DJ, I guess, is there, is there any other little things that you've picked up about Blackhawks players that are, things that the average fan would know, but something you've been able to know since your time uh, covering the team? Hmm, I might have to think more about that. One thing I always like to talk about, um, because the guys always seem eager to, is the players who have dogs. Uh, it's oh, of course. Of course. And I've done a couple stories on players' dogs, whether it be Strom or Debrinket or even Kubalik has a, a lesser-known Chihuahua. Some of the other players also have dogs. So that's that's a go-to subject when you're you're trying to get to know them a little bit more personally away from the ring. Yeah, I think that works for anybody across any any profession anywhere. Just talk to them about their dogs. That's usually a good way to get started. With, with you growing up in, in Raleigh, and you said you were a, uh, a Hurricanes fan growing up, this is something that's always fascinated me with sports journalists. Is, is if you end up covering a NHL team in that league, you know, the, the rules of journalism say that you're not supposed to be a fan anymore. And so you can cover the teams objectively. Now you're not covering the Hurricanes; you're covering a different team, but you're still covering an NHL team. So, is that fan like was it hard to like silence the inner hockey fan in you once you took over this job, or is that something you're still working on, or is that something you haven't, uh, or something you've opted to not do? Well, I think the sort of learning to separate fandom from reporting definitely started at Northwestern because mm -hmm. 
I mean, I was a pretty big fan of, of the football team, especially. Um, right. And the basketball team to a lesser extent, but then having to you know, cover them and work hard and not get emotionally caught up or nervous about the outcome of the game uh, right. or being, you know, be able to like express, you know, cheer or anything in the press box was good uh, training. Right. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, I didn't grow up a uh, Blackhawks fan, didn't really mm-hmm. come in with any pre-existing opinions about them. Uh, so that hasn't been uh, as challenging, but the, the two times a year when they play the Hurricanes is a little interesting for me. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I was fortunate that the Hurricanes won both meetings last year so that I didn't have to uh, deal with maybe bridging <laughs> that gap a little more if okay. the happened. But um, I don't think it'll be too much of a problem when the, the Hawks inevitably take, take a game from them at some point. Right, and, and like the ro- rosters in professional sports change over so much, and I don't imagine there's a lot of guys that were that are on the Hurricanes now, even like four or five, six years ago when you were still in Raleigh before you went to Northwestern. But were there any guys on the team now that or that are still on the team now that you kind of grew up watching and were big fans of when you were a kid? Well, I was a big Justin Falk fan growing okay. up. Okay, he was my favorite player, and obviously he's on St. Louis now. Um, but. Uh, he scored that winning goal with a couple minutes left in one of the Hawks games down there. And that was, mm-hmm. that made me a little bit happy to see that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess guys like Slavin, uh, uh, he's been around a little while, you know, there really aren't a lot of guys that are still left from those teams, but. Uh, yeah. Like I'm, I'm going down the roster and like one of the older players on the teams, Tavo, who I don't yeah. know his last name. And, and he, obviously we know where he came from. So we are, won't talk about that because it's too depressing. <laughs> but I, I guess just just your your first year on the beat. Just what was your what was your overall impressions of the team and just I, I guess things that stood out to you about your experience with that. What what kind of things when you were reflecting back on the year covering the Blackhawks? Uh, what kind of things come to mind first? I think, man, there's so much. Uh, I learned so much this year, and um, hopefully we get a, a next season soon because I'm excited yes. to to see what it's like in year two, but uh, I guess it's just more to, like getting used to the travel. Uh, it ended up being really fun. I enjoyed seeing so many cities across the country and Canada as well, but um, just getting used to that chaos and not really having a home for six months was definitely the biggest adjustment. And, and also deadlines, uh, our early deadline of the sometimes is at 10 o'clock, which is normally Oof. the exact time when the home games end. Yes. So just getting used to, having something ready to go that could apply in a win or loss uh, for the early edition and stuff like that, man, I could go on forever about the challenges and and things I learned, but those are, I guess, some of the highlights. Yeah. And I, as I, I cover high school sports for a local newspaper in Indiana, so I can, I identify with the deadline issues. Like I be at a high school football game Friday night, the deadline's 10 o'clock and maybe the game ends at nine 45, maybe it ends at nine 59, you know, that's just, but that's, that seems like that's kind of the life of a, a sports journalist in general. Obviously, with this year being uh, the pandemic in the middle of the season is obviously one of the biggest headlines from the last season. So how difficult was it to go from, you know, being in the locker room, interviewing the players face-to-face to getting, you know, the one or two, three Zoom calls after, after every game uh, once they got to the playoffs? Because that seems like it's such a difficult transition to make, especially for someone who's just starting out in the field. Yeah, it was tough. Um, just the lack of content, really. I mean, normally during the year, you're accumulating so many minutes of interviews, some of it being, you know, one-on-one or in a smaller group. 
so that you know that some of the other reporters don't have that content. And then it's just about sort of fitting it into a puzzle of, okay, today my story is going to be about this and my sidebar mm -hmm. will be about this. And inevitably, maybe 30, 40% of that content never gets used. And then even the interviews that do get used, you probably only use maybe like a third of the quotes they gave you. Um, and then right. in the playoffs, just the whole equation shifts where suddenly you, you don't have that many minutes of content and you have to squeeze every little bit of information out of what you do have. And there's, you can't just leave out the boring stuff because the boring stuff is at least something that you can mm -hmm. go on. Right. Fill space. Uh, so that was tough just to, learn how to kind of lower my standards i guess for, for what was newsworthy <laughs> yeah um, but and then also just knowing that you only had maybe one or two interviews per person per zoom conference and you didn't have any follow-ups and learning how to sort of do that little dance of mm -hmm. trying to get the most you could out of those interviews and knowing that even if you did ask a great question and you got a great answer. Everyone else on the call also got that answer. Uh, <laughs> right. It worked both ways. Sometimes someone else, another reporter would ask a great question and they'd get a great answer. And then I'd have that at my disposal. But uh, in general, it was hard just to adjust to the, the lower amount of quotes and content that, that we had to go on. But it was also fun to cover playoffs, even if it was mm -hmm. virtually. Uh, I know our, I mean, our traffic and social media engagement were, were really high during that time. So that was a fun little experience that we probably wouldn't have gotten if not for the pandemic. And, and I feel like this is obvious, but you were, were covering it from Chicago. They didn't send you to Canada anywhere. No. Yeah. I was yeah. covering it from Chicago. I don't, okay. I don't think any of the Hawks reporters uh, went to Edmonton. Actually. Right. Yeah. I, maybe like one NHL correspondent. It didn't seem like there was a big, uh, a big, uh, a number of people there for obvious reasons. I kind of wanted to shift a little bit to some of the, the present day Blackhawk stuff. And I guess one thing that you, you tweeted today re referencing the, uh, the fan survey that the athletic did about getting the pulse of the fan bases at the moment. And you, you mentioned uh, in your tweet that was referenced in the article that it seems like Blackhawks fans love the idea of a huge tear it down rebuild. And you said overly so in your opinion, what goes into that thought? Because I think, the majority of uh, our second city hockey staff kind of believes the same thing that it's, it's, it's a nice idea in theory, but I, I don't, the execution of it seems kind of difficult to do. So just what was your thinking in, in that whole situation right now? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, I don't know, there's something romantic about just kind of blowing up a team, fielding basically an AHL roster for a couple of years getting mm -hmm. some really high draft picks and fans always assume they'll be like the first overall pick, even though the lottery and other bad teams make that kind of hard to actually achieve. And then just building it all up with, you know, your 500 prospects and they'll all pan out perfectly. And I, it, it works very well in NHL video games and it's very fun to do in franchise mode. I, right, I, do right. myself. I don't think it works as well uh, in reality and you can see teams kind of tear it down and then get stuck at the bottom, like Buffalo, where mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like they were going to do the, the drastic all the way down, all the way up approach. And then the all the way up ended up being like 30% of the way up. And now they're stuck and like not getting a top pick and not making the playoffs. So uh, I think certainly what LA or Detroit's doing could work, but I don't think it's guaranteed to work. 
And, and also maybe what Chicago's doing won't work, but I think it has maybe just as good of a chance of working as those other approaches would. And, and I think the, the thing you mentioned about video games there, I, I feel like if you did a Venn diagram of uh, the time that rebound, uh, rebuilds and teardowns and all this kind of came into vo- in vogue among fan discussions and the prevalence of video games in sports fan culture, I feel like there's going to be a significant overlap there because I don't remember like early mid 2000s. I don't remember people talking about franchise rebuilds and teardowns as much as they do now, because like you said, Ben, you can do them in video games and they, they work a lot better. You know, they don't have, there's not much of the human element involved in video Mm -hmm. games. So prospects tend to develop. They don't tend to, you know, have things go wrong or get hurt and stuff like that. So very much identify with what you said that it's, it's not the end all be all definitely going to work plan that some people believe it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think there's different ways to go about it and they each are, you know, sometimes work and sometimes don't Um, certainly what the Red Wings doing could work. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but yeah, like you said, there's, there's more air and there's more of a human element and there's no one universally superior way to, to rebuild a, a sports team or else everyone would do it. And, and it seems like it's it's getting further and further into the rearview mirror, but it wasn't all that long ago that the Blackhawks were an absolutely terrible franchise. And I think it was 03 when they were named, ESPN named them the worst franchise in sports. So it's like, I feel like the people that are old enough to remember that time frame are just like not quite as adamant about going into a rebuild because you don't know, you might end up back in the Blackhawks dark ages all over again. At least that's one of my fears personally. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Obviously, I mean, I wasn't around for that, but I've read mm-hmm. books about it and, and heard about that time in the franchise. And, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that would be the worst case scenario right. if they ended up back there. So Yeah, it's, it's definitely a little doom and gloom on my end, but it's, it's, it's part, it's, it was my, my formative years as a hockey fan between the ages of 10 and 20 when the Hawks were just awful all the time. So it's kind of, it's hard to shake. But yeah, yeah. As, as they're... Whatever they're doing now, I don't rebuild, retool, build on the fly, whatever the hell you want to call it. What is the biggest thing that you're watching in terms of how, in terms of what's going to lead to success? Is there something that you're watching? Maybe like if this thing happens, this is the best sign going forward for what the Blackhawks are trying to do. Hmm, I don't know if I've thought about that as specifically, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a good question. I think what they're really going to need is the young guys that are already in the NHL or about to come into the NHL to pan out mm-hmm. um, because that's why they're not tearing it down. They're banking on these guys, Doc and Boquist and Ian Mitchell uh, to live up to expectations and become centerpiece guys that they can build around. If they don't do that, then it makes a lot less sense to keep the Kane and Taves and, and Keith around and and not completely tear it down because the whole hope is that they can they don't need to tear it down because they already have something of the core of the future Uh, so I guess I would say that those guys panning out is probably the the critical component to this strategy so shifting gears completely now because I'm not very good at segues (laughs) during (laughs) during the summer when there was that big three to four month gap uh in the hockey season because of the pandemic you know and on all of the, the social unrest things that happened throughout Chicago and throughout the rest of the world that happened this summer. And I remember just one day, all of a sudden seeing your name pop up in a bunch of tweets from the front lines of all the protests that were happening. So 
I guess, first off, how did that kind of happen that you ended up covering those protests? And what was it like to go from covering, you know, what I, I think some people refer to as the sandbox of journalism in sports, because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, the most important thing into the world to the number one story on every newspaper's uh, headline everywhere across the world. Well, it was, I mean, it was, it wasn't really planned uh, that I would be the one covering that. I bet. After the season ended in, in, you know, March 12th, I think they went on pause. I was basically doing nothing. Uh, I went home for a couple months uh, just to sort of see family and and hang out and decompress after the season ended. Um, But then they had a couple people leave and uh, with COVID going on, couldn't really, you know, make hires to replace them. Right. So they needed me to, to fill in on news coverage. And basically I was just on a, a shift system. I was doing uh, Wednesday nights uh, and Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And um, it just so happened that the Memorial day, uh, the big protest that, that you're talking about was on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't that they said, oh, Ben Pope is the most qualified person to uh, <laughs> be covering this. It was just, that was my shift. And it okay. uh, turned out to be the most newsworthy thing that's happened in the city in, in quite some time. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was a crazy day. Um, one that I will, I will not uh, soon forget. But I think one thing that I will say that helped uh, carrying over from the sandbox of sports journalism is, being very good at Twitter. Um, oh, okay. That's certainly an important skill when covering the Hawks, and it was also an important skill when uh, you're, you're downtown during, during all that was going on, trying to get the information out quickly and succinctly. So uh, and, I guess and, that was one carryover. Yeah, and, and then just to, like, you know, I mentioned the intimidation factor of going to, into an NHL locker room, and there's a much different sort of intimidation. Well, maybe intimidation is not the right word, but just there, there was a lot of violent things that happened all over the country and Chicago included. So was there, I, I guess, was that part of it also very challenging? So it was to, like, not only trying to do your job, but also, like, watching your back and making sure something doesn't happen to you, you don't get physically harmed in the process? You know, I've been asked this a lot the past mm-hmm. few months uh, since that happened. And, and honestly, it was not on my mind at all okay. during the moment, um, you know, my own safety. I think one thing that uh, I guess is helpful as a journalist is being able to uh, emotionally distance yourself from a situation and kind of mm-hmm. act like you're a third person, like you're some kind of drone or something uh, that is just observing everything that's going on. And it's not you're not part of it. Um, and obviously I was part of it because I was there and there was definitely some element of risk, but it wasn't on my mind at that time. I was just trying to be wherever the most news was happening and capture that news and distribute that news. And that was pretty much the only mental processes that were going on at that time. Uh, afterwards, I was definitely a bit shaken um, mm-hmm. when I had time to you know, sit down and, and think about all that had happened that day, but uh, it wasn't really uh, concerning me at the time. Yeah, like I, there were several weeks and probably even a, a month or two between like your coverage of the protests and then getting back on the hockey beat. But that seems like two completely different worlds in more ways than one. Uh, just to go from you know the front lines of protests to covering hockey, did it did it take you a while to get back into hockey reporter mode? Well, we had that training camp in July. Oh, that's um, true. That's true. Where, which was a little bit of. Because I was able to go, which I appreciated. They let the reporters in the building, even mm-hmm. though the, the interviews are still on Zoom. So I guess just being able to watch hockey drills like nothing 
was going on differently than normal uh, was a bit of reacclimation to it. Um, but actually, I was still covering the Hawks technically while covering the protests. Um, it wasn't really anything that interesting, but just trying to come up with fluff pieces here and there to keep readers engaged about the Hawks. Right. And there were a couple times where I was at a protest and I was supposed to do a Hawk story for the next morning and it was getting kind of late and I had to decide whether to to leave to go write my Hawk story or to stay at this protest. And we were trying to correspond between different editors with different different jurisdictions about where they want to be. And it was mm-hmm. a weird intersection even during the protest of, of trying to cover those two extremely different things. Yeah, and I think the the only Blackhawks news that came out during that time was like players releasing statements or making comments on Instagram related to the protest anyway. So it was kind of all in the same same circle, if you will. Yeah, that's true. There was I think there was a little bit of info coming out about the restart plan uh, in June. Um, so there was a little bit of news with that. But it, no, there certainly wasn't a lot of Hawks news to deal with at that time. Yeah, we were we were scratching for content as well. I think I think I exhausted every hey this Blackhawks thing happened ten years ago situation. I mean, because that's all there was to talk about is was the past because the present was just full of questions at that point. I think at one point I wrote a story about how if the Hawks didn't sign re-sign Malcolm Subban, he would end up having the shortest career in Blackhawks history and <laughs> spent a solid hour researching to make sure that no one had played fewer than 51 seconds or whatever. He, uh, so that was kind of where I was content-wise. So do you, do you remember, was Matt Underhill, did his name come up in your research? Because I'm pretty sure he's the guy, the name I always remember. I think he played one game for the Hawks in like 02 or 03. It was a year where they used like eight or nine goalies. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? I don't think I – I mean, I'm sure I came across him. <laughs> okay. I did not make a an effort to remember the other short tenured Hawks that I found. In Mo- Most people haven't. It's okay. <laughs> I, 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 the, the, that is just random random bar trivia that I remember for reasons only known to – not even known to me. I, I couldn't tell you why I know things like that. I um, think there was one guy that played like three and a half minutes in his only – Hawks game, but uh, that was Scott. the shortest I found. But Subban only played 71 seconds. Um, but I guess if they're re-signing him, that, that argument is now All right. uh, irrelevant. Well, he's got to play, I guess, though, because there's not guaranteed that he'll be the goalie next season. So maybe maybe that'll still be – he'll still be the leader. Who Do you remember who the player was, the, the three-minute one? Because Scott, uh, Scott Foster's name came to mind, but he played a whole period. So. Yeah, he played a whole and period. Was it, was, it was not a goalie. Um, oh, okay. It was some kind of AHL call-up. I don't remember who it was, but I can try to find it for you. Okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be on Google later, or hockey reference, I should say, now because of this conversation. Um, so, so kind of coming back to the, the Blackhawks and maybe looking forward a little bit, we don't know what the season's going to look like, as you mentioned earlier, and, and there's, um, I, I guess we're just hoping we get as much hockey as possible. What's the thing that you're most intrigued about, about the 2020 to 2021 Chicago Blackhawks? I guess it's I'm, – I'm intrigued to see exactly how committed they are to playing the young players. We, we heard mm-hmm. Stan Bowman say that phrase approximately 4,000 times uh, earlier this fall. But it doesn't seem like they've cleared that many spots for prospects to, to come in. So I'm intrigued to see exactly how this plan ends up working out. Are they, mm-hmm. are they going to rotate them in? Are they going to, to maybe move some guys that we are expecting to see in the NHL roster at, into healthy scratch territory or into the AHL to free up more spots? Are we going to see in-season trades um, to free up more spots? 
Um, there's, I'm, I'm intrigued to see exactly how, how this works out, uh, okay. considering it doesn't seem like there's more than, you know, a handful of, of current opportunities open for these guys to come in and claim. You know, and the thing you mentioned uh, also today on Twitter is that Drake Kajula and Slater Cuckoo haven't signed anywhere else because the market for like replacement level third and fourth line guys is just not there. And so, and like, that's where a lot of teams, it seems like are going to be turning to their younger players to fill in those roles and the Blackhawks are chief among them because of all the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting that they, they haven't, uh, haven't signed. Um, you know, I think Cuckoo played pretty well second half of the year. Um, I, yeah. I'm I, surprised that no one has, has wanted him. I, I think if circumstances were different, he would be back with the Blackhawks, but it seems like, you know, somebody has to make room for the Ian Mitchells and, and Nicholas Bodans of the world. So I guess someone had to go and third pairing defenseman. Sometimes that that's what happens to you before I let you go, Ben. And thank you very much again for uh, taking the time to talk with us uh, for the second city hockey podcast. I just wanted to ask, uh, because you mentioned your interview with Tazen Smith that it led to thorough music conversations. So are you a big music guy? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the biggest, but uh, okay. decently big. I, I like alt music, um, okay. like War on Drugs, Arctic Monkeys. That okay. Kind of thing. What was the last, did you get to a concert be- like right before the, everything got shut down uh, back in March? Is there a, being in Chicago, there's plenty of venues and a very robust music scene. So did you get to any shows before everything got closed up? I don't think I was able to really go to any concerts during the season. Um, no, during the fair. off season. Uh, I went to a few, but uh, no, it's pretty much impossible during the year. And that's actually one of the things that was interesting talking to Zach Smith about because, you know, he was in Ottawa before coming to Chicago and the only concerts in Ottawa are in the Canadian Tire Center and they're only there when the Senators are out of town. Oh, man. They never go to any concerts. And he was excited to come to Chicago where they, we have so many music halls that he could theoretically go to when the Hawks were filling the United center. So, mm. um, but it's still hard to find time. So. Yeah. Yeah. And with your, uh, a lot of evening schedules and all the road trips, when things, when you're allowed to take road trips with the, t- uh, for coverage again. So yeah, I could, I could see a, a hockey rider schedule not being very conducive to concert attending. No, but I certainly get my, my fair share of live entertainment. Oh yeah. Um, so. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it all works out in the end then. Right. Well, Ben, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out. We very much appreciate it. And um, I guess uh, we'll uh, see you on Twitter, hopefully whenever the next Blackhawk season starts up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we uh, we get some news on, on when that season starts pretty soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thanks again, Thanks again Ben. Thank you. Da, 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 da.